Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we're glad that you decided to spend part of your evening with us tonight. I'd like to make an announcement about the uh, Burning Hearts that uh, Sean McCraney of Heart of the Matter is hosting at Murray Park on September 1st. That's a couple of weeks from now, um, Saturday, September 1st, and he has asked several ministry um, people to be there at uh, Murray Park, and he's asked us to be there, and we intend to be there and uh, meet people. Our viewers uh, stop by and say hello. We'll have uh, newsletters and brochures and information to to pass out to you, and also we'd just love to meet some of our viewers that we haven't met before or say hello to those that we have met before. That's Saturday, September 1st. 3 until 8 p.m. at Murray Park, food, activities, and Christ-centered fun and music. So we hope to see many of you there. And also, I just got handed a flyer just now um, that they wanted me to announce the Greg Laurie Harvest America is going to be broadcast on TV20 at 5 p.m. on the 26th. I believe that is a Sunday afternoon. Um, he will be broadcasting all through the nation. He'll be telling the good news of Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful teacher and preacher, and we heartily recommend that you tune in on here on KTMW TV20 Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. You'll certainly learn a lot from him. Um, last week on our show, we discussed the priesthood, both in Mormonism and in the Bible, with Chris Honbaum as our guest. And after comparing the two priesthoods, the biblical and the priesthood from Mormonism that Joseph Smith claimed he restored, we discovered that there is absolutely no counterpart with that in the Bible. In fact, there's no resemblance between the two priesthoods at all. This week, we're going to be looking at the temples of early Mormonism. And next week with Jim Catlin as our guest, we're going to discuss and pair, compare the information that we discussed tonight with the Old Testament temple um, that the Bible tells us about. Now, before our Mormon viewers go into heart failure, we want you to know that we're not going to discuss detailed content of temple ceremonies. That isn't our purpose. Even though Jesus said not to do anything in secret, and he also said to renounce and to expose religious secrets, that isn't our purpose tonight. However, we will be referencing certain aspects of the temple ceremony for the sake of comparison. Both the Mormon and the polygamy group rituals will be discussed, not in detail, but for the sake of discussion, we will be going, we are going to be talking about them. So we say this in advance so that if you are easily offended, you may want to utilize the off switch of your TV right now or your channel changer if you don't want to hear what it is that we have to say. 
Um, our show is to help remove the false foundation of early Mormon polygamy and present-day polygamy doctrine. Polygamy was the primary purpose for early Mormon temple rituals, so it is obviously relevant to our discussion of polygamy on this show. Our guest to discuss uh, the first temples of Mormonism tonight is Sandra Tanner. She and her husband, Gerald Tanner, were founders of the first and the very best ministry to bring historical and biblical truths to bear on Mormonism and to reveal the deceit and the cover-ups and the changes that have been made to Joseph Smith's Mormonism. Her ministry is the Utah Lighthouse Ministry. You can find it on the web at www.utlm.org. And so I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest tonight, Sandra Tanner. Thank you for coming. It's been a while since you've been here, and we always love having you. Yes, yeah, good to be here. It's um, amazing how much information you retain. <laughs> <laughs> because you, it's just about anything. You can talk about it, and that's, well, that's wonderful. Um, to get started, I wanted to quote from Gospel Principles uh, on page 98, where it says, and I quote, The church today teaches the same principles and performs the same ordinances as were performed in the days of Jesus, end quote. Now, Joseph Smith claimed that he restored the original Christianity, but instead he introduced a myriad of non-Christian rites and rituals and doctrines, which really didn't have any biblical basis. And he claimed he restored the original temple and the temple ordinances. We're going to discuss these tonight and right. find out if these claims are true. So let's start with their very first temple. Uh, where was their, temp their first temple? Why did they build it? And what was it used for? Well, um, <clears throat> people need to understand that in Joseph's day, there could have been a number of different churches that might have referred to their church building as a temple. The Masons sometimes referred to their meeting place as a temple. It wasn't, he wasn't the first one to start using this phrase of, of a temple building. But in 1836, the Mormons built a temple in Kirtland, Ohio. But it wasn't a temple in the sense a Mormon thinks of a temple today. The Kirtland Temple uh, was an open assembly meeting. Any family group could come into it. There was no restrictions on who could come. And uh, you didn't need a special piece of paper to show you were worthy to get in. It was just an open church building, but they called it a temple. Hmm. Now, they did have, at the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, a special ritual where the men were told to fast all day. And then they came to the temple that night and had communion or sacrament, bread and wine. And the, at that time, the Mormons used wine in their services. Mm -hmm. But they got to drink their fill. Yeah. <laughs> and so the dedication of the Kirtland Temple is reported to have all these great visions and this special endowment from on high. And people got up and prophesied and spoke in tongues and they sang and they spent the, the men spent mm -hmm. the night in the temple. It was just the men. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so they also had a um, foot washing ceremony, which wouldn't have been unusual to just the Mormons. Uh, brethren churches, different churches have foot washing ceremonies, mm -hmm. uh, but they had their own special ceremony for this, for the dedication of the temple. And so they spoke in that time of sort of referring to it as an endowment, but it's not the meaning of the word endowment that a Mormon would place on the word today. At that time, an open assembly of just the men mm -hmm. with this foot washing and communion. After they dedicated the Kirtland Temple, was it still an open building? Could people still come in yes. after the dedication? Yes, it, it was, was, still it was always uh, an open assembly church building. 
How long did they use the Kirtland Temple before they... Well, they got run out of town <laughs> not too long after this. So, so they didn't have access to the Kirtland Temple for uh, very long. Uh -huh. Okay, so then, then um, later the second temple was in Nauvoo. So right. what, when was that built, why, and how was it used? How did it differ from the Kirtland Temple? Well, they were building it during the 1840s, but it wasn't completed during Joseph Smith's lifetime. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it was near completion, but it wasn't totally done when he died. But um, he told everyone that when they built this new temple, there, there would be this special new endowment. That God would send a new blessing, a new special anointing uh, when you go to this new temple. But this uh, now changed to being a restricted attendance to the special rites that went in there. It was not used as a chapel mm -hmm. like the Kirtland Temple was. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the odd thing about the temple in Nauvoo is that the first temple ceilings weren't done in the Nauvoo Temple. They were being done before that so that Joseph Smith uh, takes his first plural wife in 1841 and he's sealed to her. Uh, they meet down by the river, Louisa Beeman, and she's dressed like a man. Mm -hmm. And then they have this other Mormon guy there that says the sealing ceremony for them. Well, in today's world, a Mormon only gets sealed in the temple. But at that time, Joseph was doing sealings, just could be in his office, in this case, out by the river. Right, right. And so the doing them in the temple came later. It was a development. Even though the Nauvoo Temple wasn't completed, Joseph Smith still used parts they of used the temple it. before he was... Killed. Well, yes, but before that, they were using his uh, uh, top floor above his store mm, for temple right. rituals. Yeah, so uh, when they first started the temple rituals, they weren't done in the temple at all. They were done in his loft above his store. So the restrictions in the Kirtland Temple, were there no restrictions people could come, but in the Nauvoo Temple only certain people were allowed? Is that when they brought the restrictions? When they did the, those rituals. I mean, they had people working there through the day, and so people came and went through the building as it was being constructed. But when they had uh, these endowment ceremonies in the temple, that was restricted. You had right. to, by invitation only, uh, it was a special ritual. But uh -huh. it was this uh, new ceremony that he had come up with, different than what they'd done in Kirtland. Mm -hmm. What what are these are either of these temples? Uh, I know Nauvoo is, but what about the Kirtland Temple? Have they been restored, and are they restored back to their original purpose and design? Uh, the Kirtland Temple is owned by the reorganized LDS Church. It's now called the Community of Christ, but mm -hmm. they own the building, and it's open to the public, and uh, it's always just been held used for regular meetings, mm -hmm. uh, but it's owned by the RLDS Church. Mm -hmm. So it always stood; it was never yeah. destroyed. So it's, it's still called the Kirtland Temple, mm -hmm. and the Nauvoo Temple has been restored and well, is rebuilt. Not just not restored, well, rebuilt. Yeah, it rebuilt. That's right. Yes. <laughs> totally rebuilt. <laughs> Absolutely. But it doesn't look exactly like it did originally because on top of the original Nauvoo Temple would have been a weather vane that would have had Masonic symbols on it. Mm -hmm. And when they redid the Nauvoo Temple, instead of doing that, they put up the Angel Moroni statue like they have on the other temples. Oh, but the original Nauvoo Temple did not have the, angel, have the angel standing up blowing a horn. It was an angel flying sideways 
and above the angel was the compass and square symbol that's used in masonry, mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. used in Mormonism. But right. I think right. that's why they didn't want to put the original weather vane back up. <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. Uh, what what part did polygamy play in the building and use of either temple? Well, with the Kirtland Temple, it, like I said, it wasn't a secret building and there weren't secret rituals. And uh, there is speculation that Joseph was living polygamy at that time. Uh, we know he was um, uh, either having an affair or was married to a young woman named Fanny Alger at that time. But um, it's sketchy given, making it a marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So... Uh, <laughs> They usually uh, they start the count on Joseph's polygamy with Louisa Beeman in 1841 in Nauvoo, and Joseph, in bringing in polygamy into Mormonism, needed a way to solidify his inside leadership to secrecy. If you're going to have secret plural marriages, you better have a way of keeping down the gossip and keeping people from talking about this. Mm -hmm. It was illegal. In Illinois, a lot of Mormons think it, don't think it was, but, yeah, but they had bigamy laws on the books, mm -hmm. so he could have been turned in for bigamy if they were known right. that he was living with other women as a wife. Mm -hmm. So uh, he wants to introduce this whole concept to other men besides himself, and he wants to take more wives. Well, how do you assure that they're all going to keep this secret? So mm -hmm. then he comes up with this. Uh, temple ritual where you're sworn to secrecy. And I think the catalyst for the Mormon temple ritual is his involvement in the Masonic ritual. Now he was a Mason first, uh, six weeks before he came up with Mormon temple ritual, he went through the Masonic ritual and he mm -hmm. became a 33rd degree uh, master Mason. Hmm. And He went 33 degrees that fast? Oh yeah, one, one day he just did it wow. all. Yeah, wow. very unusual. Wow. I mean, it usually takes you know, well, it takes a while. Uh, and and the, I want to bring up the masonry in aspect of it in just a minute. But but first of all, let's talk about the way the polygamy has to do with the ceremony, even of today. The the how it is actually the foundational of much of what they do in today's temple. How how actually how different would the temple ceremonies and rituals look if Joseph Smith hadn't been a polygamist? Well, okay, first off, you have to understand that the, when a Mormon gets sealed in the temple, that is to have an eternal marriage. Mm -hmm. The first eternal marriage was a polygamous marriage to Louisa Beeman. And didn't they use the word sealing as a code word for polygamy? Yes. They didn't so, use that before, polygamy. No, they weren't. No, and Emma doesn't get sealed to Joseph till two years later after Joseph's got a couple dozen wives yeah. sealed to him in this ritual before Emma becomes sealed to him. And she couldn't get have him for eternity unless she was sealed to him. Right, That's right. So this whole sealing, the, the what a Mormon today would say is so important about going to the temple to be sealed so you'll have your mate forever the first sealing was a polygamous sealing. It was, that was the whole point of that it. That was the code word for polygamy, the yes. sealing was. Right. So uh, he has all these different women sealed to him, and along the way, Emma figures it out, and she's mad, and they have arguments about this all, and, then, and she's not sealed to Joseph. So finally, Joseph tells her, 
you have got to agree to polygamy before you will be sealed to me. If you want sealing, which will give you eternal life, you mm -hmm. have to agree to polygamy. So mm -hmm. she finally agrees to let him marry these, uh, uh, I think it was the Lawrence sisters. And uh, she stands there in the room when he is sealed to these girls. Well, they actually had already married them, but they didn't yeah. want to tell Emma that they'd already got sealed to him. So they did it again. The right. girls tell this as adults. They, women in, here in Utah, they tell that they were sealed twice mm -hmm. for Emma's benefit. Right. And so, so she agrees to this. So then shortly after that, she becomes sealed to Joseph. So she gets her wish. But then she can't stand polygamy. And she sees these young girls in the house with Joseph, and, and it's driving her nuts. Right. So she demands they leave. Uh, and she orders the girls out of the house, and they have to move down the street, live with someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, so then she becomes an opponent again of uh, fighting Joseph on polygamy. And then uh, Joseph hasn't even given the revelation on polygamy yet. The section 132 hasn't, hasn't been even been it. recorded that's, yet. That's right. That's uh, when right. Emma's going through all this, he's just telling her. God told me this. Well, yeah. I, you know, I can see her saying, well, I haven't seen the revelation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and she did say that, I think. And in the tradition of having closed weddings and closed ceremonies, that tradition is all wound up in polygamy, right. too, as well. Right. Right. Because in uh, the Kirtland era of Mormonism, all the marriages were public. In Independence, Missouri, the marriages were public. Well, even in Nauvoo, the marriages were public other than the ceilings to polygamous women. And those became secret. Uh, all of them were done secretly in Joseph's office or mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. somebody's home or out in the woods or somewhere. Uh, but those were all secret ones. So when they finally institute the ceremony inside the actual building of the Nauvoo Temple, it, it's a secret marriage ceremony. But it was because they were polygamous but it was marriages. Only for polygamy, right? And the concept of eternal marriage actually wasn't even preached or taught or seemingly believed by Joseph Smith until polygamy came along. Is that correct? Yeah, a funny story on the development of polygamy and Mormonism. He seems to, when he does the Book of Mormon, he seems to be opposed to the idea of polygamy, uh, except if God commands it. He leaves a little opening there in the Book of Mormon that well, maybe you know if God tells you to. Um, but he, he very quickly in the 30s starts having his name associated uh, with affairs. And, uh, of course, the Mormons are, are going to dismiss all of that. But if they look into books that seriously deal with the polygamy issue, and I've got some of them here. You know, if anyone wants to check it out, Nauvoo Polygamy by George Smith, Mormon Polygamy, A History by Van Wagoner, and The Mysteries of Mormonism by Berger. These are classic historical studies by valid historians uh, from Mormon backgrounds that are not trying to destroy Mormonism. They're just doing a historical study. Right, exactly. And they show that in the 30s there were uh, accusations of Joseph having uh, affiliations with women. And so there was this rumor that the church had to do with polygamy. So in 1835, the Mormons had a section put in their Doctrine and Covenants that said, something to the effect, inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been accused of the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare one man should have one wife, except in the case of death. Mm -hmm. And so it was right there in 35 in their Doctrine and Covenants that they didn't believe polygamy. Well, how many churches have to put a section in saying they don't believe polygamy? <laughs> That's kind you know? of strange, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to put out fires in yeah. Kirtland, yeah. and that's when we know he was having a marriage or an affair, whatever you want to word it, with Fanny Alger. 
Yeah. Some yeah. list her as his first plural wife. And then if she's first, then Louisa Beeman in 1841 and Nauvoo is number two. So whatever way you want to start the count, it goes on to where you get up to anywhere from 33 to 38 plural wives. Some would take it even higher right. than that. Depends on but how the, you count them. But the idea of, of having marriage in eternity originated in the Mormon church with polygamy. It didn't originate be from revelation from God. It, re yeah. it has a polygamy foundation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the whole eternal marriage is just poly. It was brought in because of, that was the uh, yeah. selling point of going into polygamy is this, this will guarantee you eternal yeah. life. If yeah. you marry me, it will guarantee you eternal life. And you're saying to Joseph, well, wait a minute, Joseph, what about Emma? Oh, well, she counts too. See, she gets sealed to she me. Get, if she agrees to this, she'll be sealed to me. You'll uh -huh. be sealed to me. And we'll, we'll just have uh, this wonderful uh, family sealing in heaven. And the celestial room that, that is in the temples, is in the Nauvoo temple especially, mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Smith had that specifically made so that he could kind of um, bring the eternal family, all of his wives together in one well, the, the imagery would be that when you pass through the uh, different rites of the temple ritual and you go through the veil symbolic of entering into the celestial kingdom, into heaven, you go into this certain room and then supposedly if some of your family members were going through the temple ritual with you, like today, if, if some of your family went through mm -hmm. with you, you would come through and you all would be standing around in the celestial room before you went to your locker rooms to change into your street clothes. So the symbolism would be that as you were uh, visiting in the celestial room, you, you would have the feeling of, see, we're going to be this one big happy family when mm -hmm. we get there. So you could see how this would give this idea to people that when we go into the celestial room, we will be with our different family members. And, and all of our wives with all us all the wives in, will be in there. the celestial room. So, uh, and this is just kind of a, a very quick go over of the, of the basic polygamy foundation mm -hmm. of most of the temple rituals and ceremonies yeah. and what goes on in the temple. Are there any biblical historical accounts of any of these ceremonies? No, that? the uh, biblical temple is uh, d fully described in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, the Holy of Holies, which the Mormons uh, have one in their temple, but the Holy of Holies was entered once a year by the high priest. And although he was the only one allowed to go in there, it wasn't secret. Everyone right. knew what he we went. All know what uh, it we, is. we can read yeah. it today. Right. There was no secrecy about what went on in the temple. Only the priests went for the sacrifice of animals for uh, the like the Day of Atonement once a year. But that was all known. There was no secrecy. And it was never used for marriage. Right. The whole point of the Mormon temple ritual today is for eternal sealing. Right. And, and what do the Mormons do with uh, Jesus' words that there's no marriages in heaven? What do they do with that? Do well, they, they discount say, it or not? No, no. They say, well, of course there isn't because those Jews hadn't been married in the temple. So... <laughs> So the ones asking them, of course, those guys aren't going to oh, be my goodness. have wives in heaven. You got to you got to do it our way through the temple ritual. So we conclude that that it has nothing to do with anything biblical. But the no. but the activities that Joseph Smith brought about has a foundation based from growing from polygamy and from the Masons. And now yes. let, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, some some Mormons that I talk to today and I, and have have said to me, well, you know, they're just stonemakers, stonemasons and bricklayers, if they wanted to share some of their religious values with us, so what? There's nothing wrong with that. 
that's kind of not a quite the right idea of what Masons, Freemasonry no. is. Would you be more, <laughs> would you clarify some of that? Well, uh, Freemasonry, of course, did start out of being a guilt for the men that were the stonemasons on the cathedrals of Europe. And they had their ways of identifying one another so that some carpenter or plowman couldn't come and imitate and claim to be a mason when he didn't really know the craft. So it was a way of having a union and uh, keeping some other trade guy out of your job. Mm -hmm. uh, but in 1700, approximately in England, they started allowing other men to come into their association that weren't stonemasons, weren't builders. And they started to develop this um, club, society, uh, affiliation of men that were based around uh, some of the basic principles that the Builders Guild tried to instill in people. You know, you should be honest, treat your people fairly, don't overcharge, mm -hmm. you know, just mm -hmm. basic trade uh, manners. And so they started doing this in a, in a more um, like a club with these men that weren't builders. And they developed these handshakes and passwords to identify one another so that you couldn't come into their meetings unless you were one of the boys that had been through the ritual. And, and so the Masonic ritual is based on the legend of Hiram Abiff and the building of Solomon's Temple. And um, so they have a kind of play that they go through in their ritual, but it never had to do with marriage. The whole ritual the Masons are going through is all symbolic of um, becoming in tune with a great architect of the universe and squaring your life up to moral standards and doing good to others kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it had nothing to do with marriage. Well, yeah. uh, and so, but they swore you to secrecy. Yeah. And they had these handshakes and passwords and swearing to secrecy. When Joseph goes through the Masonic Lodge, he sees these things and I think he must have, wow, here's a great idea. This is a way I could keep all my men keeping secrets if I got them all to become Masons the at all... The secrets of polygamy. They could keep the secrets of polygamy. Yeah. So he has essentially the same handshakes, passwords, and penalties in, in his original temple ritual. Now, they've made some changes in the Mormon ritual mm -hmm. through the years. So today they don't have the penalty oaths like they did in Joseph Smith's day. Right. They still have the passwords and the handshakes. Mm -hmm. and, and they're very similar to the Masonic ritual. The point of having them, though, is very different because in Mormonism, it was so you wouldn't tell about polygamy publicly. Yeah, right. That was the whole reason that for was the that. Whole, so the, again, the basic foundation of all of what they're doing today is, is steeped in and rooted in polygamy. Heber C. Kimball in, um, in 1858 said, and I quote, We have the true masonry. The masonry of today is received from the apostasy which took place in the days of Solomon and David. They have now and then a thing that is correct, but we have the real thing. And on page 282 of No Man Knows My History, it tells us that Joseph Smith claimed that the Masonic ritual was a corruption of the ancient ritual of Solomon and that Joseph Smith's ritual was a restoration of the true endowment. So he was not only restoring true Christianity, he also went about saying that he was restoring true Masonry. Is there historical evidence? No, even Masonic historians today will concede that their ritual does not go back to Solomon. They know that as a lodge, it only goes back to 1700 in England, that before that time, it was really just for the stonemasons. Mm -hmm. so their own historians concede that. But in Joseph's day, a lot of the Masons still held to this idea 
that uh, what they did in their lodge what, had this ancient origin mm -hmm. back to Solomon. And so Joseph says, okay, I'm restoring original Christianity. I'm also going to restore original temple work and uh, claims to piggyback on the Masonic claim that their ritual goes back to Solomon. Yeah, yeah, Except today yeah. no one argues it, for that. It, yeah. And, you know, I've talked with people from the FLDS and, of course, the Kingston group, which is which the one I, and, and the All Red group, about uh, the temple uh, the the rituals that they go mm -hmm. through, and of course they're different than the LDS, and yet they're somewhat the same. Um, the FLDS don't, they don't have a temple, working temple right now, because the, the one in the YFC Ranch got desecrated, and of course they had the bed of consummation of mm -hmm. marriages, which would be different than than the Mormon temple too, but still probably pretty close to the ritual that they had. Uh, would be close to what Joseph Smith, because Warren Jeffs followed Joseph Smith pretty yeah. closely. Yeah. The Kingston group did not have a temple. Um, they would have their ceilings done in private homes or, or religious uh, buildings. And in fact, I was told when I was growing up that the Mormon temple in Salt Lake City belonged to us, and we were going to get it back in the millennium. <laughs> and so they were just settled without a temple yeah. until then. But then I talked to, to several people and had received communication from people in the All Red group. And I don't know if you talk to mm. people from them and they tell you about what's going on. But I'd like to kind of to relate a little bit of what I've been told with it. Because they have a temple uh, where they do their ceilings and rituals down in Bluffdale. Mm. And I've talked to some of them that say that they have been mortified. They've been ashamed that there's actual personal violation uh, that took place mm. during the ritual that they were required to be totally nude and then they just put on this this kind of cape-like material and then they would be touched and anointed by other people and they would their their genitals would be touched the females and the males one male said that he was touched quite thoroughly and he was so shocked and ashamed that he still suffers uh, I guess kind oh, of dear. flashbacks uh, from that because he was so shocked from it and they always question when they come out, could this be from God? Could this have come from God? And their answer has to be no, it couldn't have. They also still do the blood oaths where they agree to be cut from ear to ear and their bowels gushed mm -hmm. out if they reveal the secrets mm -hmm. of the rituals. So my question, I guess, would be, what about these secrets? If the previous oaths, even in the Mormon temple, they don't do that now, but they they did. They used yeah. to do them. So obviously they were more than just sacred. They were secret if they had to promise to be violently murdered if they revealed what was yes. going on. Right. The whole point uh, originally was to have a ceremony that would scare you enough to keep the secrets. And so if Joseph was trying to keep men to keep his polygamy secret, uh, he needed something that was serious enough to make them... Um, not want to violate that. And so they borrowed the secrecy ritual of the Masons where they took an oath of uh, swearing that to have their throats slit if they revealed the ceremony. Now in 1990, the Mormons took the blood oath of uh, revealing the ceremonies with the gesture of slitting your throat. They took it out. So it isn't in there today. And anyone that went through the temple ceremony after 1990 would think that I'm just telling lies because they would have never experienced that. But older people all know that that's the way that the ritual mm -hmm. used to be mm -hmm. with these penalties attached to revealing the ceremonies. Mm -hmm. But that all stems from masonry. 
I believe Joseph installed it into Mormonism as a means of making sure people kept secret about polygamy. So it all starts from the polygamy yes. issue again. Isn't that awful? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through 37, Jesus said, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Would that apply to the temple oaths? That would certainly sound like it to me, yes. I, and the fact that the Mormons have taken it out, I think, speaks volumes about someone up at the top realized that didn't really There's sound like it came from God. Something wrong. And James 5.12 says basically the same thing, but above all, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into condemnation. So I'm glad that they did realize for whatever reason that those were ba bad oaths, those blood yes. oaths were bad to swear in a religious context. And um, we are at, at the half hour of the show, so we need to break right now for our ministry message. So we are going to open up the telephone lines right now. We do have more to talk about, as always. But we want you to be involved in our conversation. So you can call us and, and ask your questions or make your comments at 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Be sure and turn your TV volume down once we get you on the f telephone line. And as we're waiting for the calls to come in, we do have a message to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 
to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we are talking tonight with Sandra Tanner as our guest, and we are discussing the early Mormon temples and why they were built and what they did and had the difference in them now and then. Um, we would love to hear from you and uh, call in and let us know what you think about what we're talking about and ask any questions or if you have any comments. Um, before we get, we've got one call waiting and the other lines are, are waiting to be, um, uh, I guess, put on the, the um, notice here. But let's, I want to talk to you about the second anointings. I noticed on your website several times there's a book referenced and you've quoted several times, and it's called uh, The Mysteries of Godliness, A History mm. of Mormon Temple Worship by David John Berger. And I, uh, there's a graphic that we can put up on the screen for our viewers to see. It's in your bookstore, and I think they can order it, it on your okay. website, right? That's, that's it. That's the right book. Right there. Yeah, it's got it at the bookstore, yes. It's, um, you said, the best neutral and, and, I guess, historical book on the subject of mm -hmm. the early Mormon, the just historical uh, right. value mm -hmm. of the temple. I'd like to share a quote from, um, um, by John Lorenzo, or Lorenzo Snow, excuse me, uh, 1901. He was the fourth president of the church. He said, quote, persons who are recommended for second anointings should be those who have made an exceptional record that they are persons who will never apostatize. That's on page 118. Not very many people are acquainted with the second anointings, or if they are, they probably don't have a lot of information mm -hmm. about it. Would you tell us what second anointings were in early Mormonism and mm -hmm. now, if, you, if they <clears throat> are now? Right. Um, second anointings were originally... Um, uh, well, okay, the, 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 when you had your anointing and sealing in the temple, it would have promised you eventual uh, godhood where the man would be a king and priest and the woman a queen and priestess. But it was conditional on how well you lived Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And when the second anointing is given to you, it's guaranteed. You are sealed up to godhood. You will achieve it. There's only one thing that will keep you from achieving godhood at that point, and that's murder. Short of murder, you got it all taken care of. And that's why they were saying they only want to do it to faithful people they know won't apostatize mm -hmm. because uh, it's this guarantee of godhood mm -hmm. where before it was conditional. Now mm -hmm. it's guaranteed as long as you don't kill someone. And it's by invitation only, correct? By invitation only. And so it's usually given to someone who's like been a mission president or a stake president for a long time, has years of service in the church. And uh, then the... First presidency would send a notice to the superior of that person, like either through another Muslim president or through another state president or something, that, that this person had been invited uh, to meet with the church leaders. And I'm not sure how well they even know what they're going to, but they're told to come mm -hmm. to a Sunday meeting at the temple. 
and they're not to tell anyone why they're going to the temple or that they're going. They're to keep it all secret. And, <clears throat> and that's when they're invited into this special ritual of second anointing where they're guaranteed godhood. Wow. So they are guaranteed that no matter what sin that right. they do, with except for murder, yeah. they're going to be okay. So they can right. actually, like wouldn't we're accused matter. of going out to <laughs> sin all we want, it wouldn't matter. They can sin all they want except murder and they'd yeah. still be right. kind of god. right. Do they still do that today? They still do second anointings today, yes. And they're highly secretive. Uh, very secretive, Very, very yes. highly secretive. But someone came out of Mormonism just in the last few years that uh, had been through a second anointing, and he's told of his experience on the Internet. Oh. And so it kind of gives us a little insight into how they're currently doing it. Uh -huh. But, yeah, it's still being so done. And does it has it ba its basis, its history, in some kind of a polygamy uh, ritual, do you think? Well, it all connected to polygamy because those were the people getting their second anointings were all the ones that were involved in polygamy. In the early days. In the, yeah. At the beginning. In the early Mormon days. Okay, let's take a couple of phone. We have two mics, one from Ogden and one from Enterprise. We'll take Ogden first. Hello, Mike. Hey, uh, Doris. How you doing? Um, all right, I have a question for Mrs. Tanner. Mm -hmm. you hear yes. me okay? Yes, you betcha. Okay. Um, Mrs. Tanner, um, Okay, now, first I want to let you know that um, I, I know a lot about masonry. I have family members in masonry. And I don't know if you misspoke or what, but there is, Joseph Smith was, and I'm not LDS, but Joseph Smith was never a 33rd degree mason. Um, it's impossible to become a 33rd. It takes, it takes anywhere from four weeks to three months to become a third degree mason. They're only allotted, like I'll give you an example in, in Great Britain, you, even to this day, you can only have 74 33-degree masons at one time in Britain. So Joseph Smith, it's impossible for him to have become a 33-degree mason in three months. You just he, went, he, was a, he was a master. I'll, he, he wasn't, was a man, master if he was, mason. I'm telling you, I know I'm, I, I'm in masonry. You're not, and you're wrong. Well, but you're assuming that he did. He kept all the rules. That was the whole problem. They were doing masonry wrong in Nauvoo, and they were putting their men through on a very quick, fast-paced track. And with just a few days, he went I, through all three so, degrees. Can I ask you? Okay, I'll ask you one question, then, because uh, I, uh, I just want to: Where can I get that information from? Wherever you got it from. Uh, Mysteries of Godliness by Berger. He's a very fine Mormon historian, and he tells all about the relationship of Mormon temple ritual to masonry, and that's in there. It's also in uh, several articles have been done in Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought through the years about masonry and its relationship to the temple ritual. Uh, for a well, no, I, I believe that he did. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm saying that they were not, doing things the way regular Masons would want them to have been done. Okay, 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 well then, then we agree, we agree there. Not agree to disagree, we agree to agree. I got you, now yeah. you've explained it to me. Because I was, I was like, there's no way you could have become a 33-degree uh, right. They had their uh, own lodge there that they were kind of running. They had their own lodge they? with their own Mormons running it, and it they... Be, oh, okay, okay. Okay. Thank they did it their way. That one. <laughs> Just like everything else. <laughs> okay. And I got one. Well, I've got one more question, Doris, for you. Uh, this is really kind of off the subject, but you guys, um, 
in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 45, 7, it says that God created evil. Can you, I'll go up the air and let you guys check that out. It's, it's 45, 7. Either 45 7 or 47 5. I, I'm familiar with that. the light and the dark, and I created the. Right. The, the, I created good and evil. Mm-hmm. And I'll get off the air and then let you check that out. I'll, but thanks, uh, Mrs. Tanner. I go to your website all the time and do us a like you show, and you guys have a great night. Thank, Thank you. you. What God is saying in that scripture is that He's sovereign, that He is the creator of everything that ever existed. And he created the angel um, uh, who is now the devil. He created him a good angel. This good angel from his own uh, choice sinned against God. Now, God himself is not the author of evil. He doesn't do evil, but he is sovereign in the fact that he can allow or disallow evil to exist in his universe. However, if he decided not to allow evil to exist, he'd have to blow the whole thing up and start from scratch because every one of us have evil in us. Did we'd all be gone. Yeah, we'd <laughs> yes. all be gone. Do you want to add to that? Do you no, to... I'm just thankful for the grace of God. <laughs> Amen to that. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be gone. So I hope that answers your question um, according to um, the way, the, what, the, what we the, know. way the, the Bible talks about yeah. God's sovereignty. Okay, line two, Mike is calling from Enterprise. Hello, Mike. Hello. You're on the air, Mike. Okay, thank you. What's your question? Hey, Dennis, my question is, it's got to do with, with, with polygamy, with God having all these wives up there in heaven, and he's creating spiritual children for the earth. Why would he create us twice when we were already created in the preexistence? I, I just don't understand that. Why is he creating children for the earth now when we were already created during the preexistence? Well, you're, you're coming from a, a premise of error because there, there's no such thing as a preexistence. He did not create us in a preexistence. Um, so is, is both of them things false? God is not a polygamist in heaven? There's, no, he's not a polygamist in heaven, no. Well, it, it, then, then they're both false. Right. The, Bi- the Bible does not teach a pre-existence of spirits. Mormonism says God had plural wives and that he gave birth to all these spirits that then had to come to earth to get a physical body. But that's strictly Mormonism. Christianity does not hold to right. a pre-earth well, so, so then there was no pre-existence either. No, no, I don't hold to a pre-earth life. I don't believe that no. it's biblical. Nope. Well, then, then the, the Mormons need to open up their eyes and see what's going on. No, that's what we would like them to do, is to go back and study the Bible. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. But yeah, I mean, that's a, real, that's a real red flag there to me. Right. I mean, that, that should open up somebody's eyes saying, hey, there's something wrong here. That's right. Well, you know, if they, if, if, if they took the truth of the Bible about its teachings of the preexistence or the lack of the preexistence, almost every other doctrine of Mormonism would fall because so much of what they believe and teach hangs on a, a preexistence. That's right, because it's all part of this idea of the evolution of a human to a god. And so the preexistence is this journey of uh, an intelligence to a spirit to a human, to a God. So it's the basis of this whole eternal progression idea, which the Bible doesn't teach. I understand. Right. Okay, now, not last week, but week before last, you had a, a, a man come on there, and, and he was talking about that he 
lives by his works. Okay. Uh huh. And and, he, and and when when he says he lives by his works, he sounds like one of those I I people, like like the Pharisee that went into the temple and said, "I've done this and I've done that and I've done my home teaching and I've 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 done went down mowed my neighbor's lawn and 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 and, and we know what happened to that man. Uh, he's he's one of those I I people. That's the what the the LES people sound like. They're the I I people too. Well, there's a lot of people who believe that. It, it's a natural instinct for us to believe that we have to work for something as wonderful as eternal life. I mean, we have to work for our weekly paycheck. We have to work to keep our yards clean, our house clean. And so to think of, that we would get something so wonderful as eternal life without works is, is goes against our natural thinking. So he's not the only I.I. person. The Mormons aren't the only I.I. people. Uh, most humans that are not familiar with the Bible and with God's grace think the same way. I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, I I've been a Mormon for fifty years, and I was told to read the to, to read the Book of Mormon, and I get this burning in my bosom if it's true. If I'd have got a burning in my bosom, I'd have taken an Alka Seltzer. But when I got saved and was born again, I had tears coming out of my eyes, and I fell to my knees, and I was thanking the Lord showing me the truth about Mormonism. And praise mm. God he did. And I'm grateful that he, whenever he shows himself to any of us and gets us out of the lie and into the truth. Yeah. I hope this will help some of the people out there. Okay. Thank you, Doris. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Okay, we have J.D. calling from Ogden. Hello, J.D. Yes. You're on the air. Okay. You're on the air. What's your question? Uh, Doris. Yes. This is Doris. Is this? I don't understand and forget why the LDS religion, and maybe there's a few others, but why they have two meetings, why they have to have the temple and the church, they can't conduct their ordinances in the church. They have to have this temple as a special place to do these different ordinances. Well, we talked about a lot, a lot about that already. Yes. But Sandra, do you want to just take Well, uh... This comes down to this idea of having secret ceremonies in a secret place that others don't have access to. And the way you control the access is to have the whole building locked down instead of having a church where you could have any kind of people wandering through the hallways and possibly come into a room where some ceremony was being done. They elected to just have separate buildings where they had total security on one building so that... Uh, no one had access unless they were approved. And so originally the temple ritual was polygamy. That celestial marriage, the word celestial marriage, originally carried the meaning of polygamy. Exclusively. It, yeah. it didn't mean as today just marrying your first only wife in the temple. Originally celestial marriage was polygamy. When you read section 132 of the Doctrine of Covenants, it starts out about polygamy. That's what the mm -hmm. whole thing was about. Section 132 was written out to convince Emma to accept polygamy. And so the temple ritual was a polygamous ceremony, and it had to be secret because it was against the law. That's why they have a different building for it. Also, there is that sense of mystery that, uh, that builds in a person by having a special place to go to. There is this, uh, everyone wants to be part of the in crowd. And so there is a sense of pulling people in further to Mormonism by pulling them into wanting to go to the secret building. 
Okay, uh, yeah, that makes a little sense. I just understand with the masons sometimes they'll open up the temple and let you go in, and I know that you can go in and tour the other temples. It just seems like another step <laughs> in secrecy to where right. they won't let everybody see what's going well, on. Well, so. the masons will let you walk through their building, but you don't get to go to their ceremonies. And right now the Mormons have their Brigham City Temple open because they're going through a remodeling. But once it's closed, no one gets to go in and see the rituals. So there are times when the Mormons let you see the inside of the building, but uh, then it's closed off and no one gets to see it. Okay. Appreciate the answer. Thank, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you. I guess he's, he must be done. We have a, a Stephen, Stephen calling from Sandy, it looks like. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. This is Doris. What is your question? Did the FLDS on the temple ritual have the blood oath? Well, I haven't talked with anyone directly from the FLDS who will confirm or deny that they don't. Have you? I don't talked know. To him? If but they, do. they he they follow Joseph Smith so closely. Warren yeah. Jeffs and Joseph Smith are like almost like shadows of each other. And well, and I would well, have to say I'm, yes. I'm from the FLDS. You are from the FLDS? Not I'm not part of it now, but I was, but, but you didn't I just go, never you, heard anything about the temple work or anything. Ritual. Well, yeah, did you go through the ritual and did they have a temple? They didn't even have a temple until they built the one in El Dorado a few right. years ago. That's correct. So yeah. But they probably I just wondered if they had the blood oath. I have not heard that they do or they don't. I would have to assume they do or did because he so closely followed Joseph Smith. Okay. But That's I, what I, was I have no on. confirmation of it whatsoever. How long has it been since you left the FLDS? About a year. Ah. Why did you leave? Um, I actually was kicked out. They actually sent me out for doing things against the church. Are you repenting from afar or have you bagged it? Uh, I bagged it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And if you ever want any help, let me know. I'd love to talk to you. Okay. Okay, thanks for calling. Um, okay, do you have a, a minute? We have a minute for you to sum up. Anything you want to say? <laughs> well, the uh, whole period of Nauvoo raises serious questions about honesty, integrity, <clears throat> and openness in the things of God. If the most important ceremony you could take part in is kept secret and you can't even know ahead of time what it even is before you go into the building, uh, where is this in the Bible? It has nothing no. to do with it. And we find that Joseph Smith lied about polygamy. Uh, he lied to the public. He lied to his wife. Mm -hmm. He lied to his brother, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> would this be the way God would instill the greatest blessing he could give you yeah. through lies and deception. Yeah. I just don't see it as a biblical uh, mm -hmm. underground of uh, foundation for something that's supposed to guarantee you eternal life. Uh, and that's so true. And also, uh, very quickly, um, God gave the blueprints for the temple in yes. the Bible, and they didn't follow any blueprints when they no. built their temple. Um, uh, the closing comments, um, we only have a couple of minutes now. A couple of weeks ago, somebody mentioned we had a caller who, who called in and denied that we're saved by grace alone, and he claimed that his good works actually bought the forgiveness for his sins. And we know that this culture follows a long list of requirements for righteousness, all sorts of covenants and rituals and celestial marriage and the word of wisdom and 
and so many other rules and regulations that they have to follow in order for them to earn eternal life. But those works of righteousness completely wipe out Jesus Christ. If righteousness and forgiveness could be gained by good works, then Jesus Christ died for nothing. And it's only, like I said, natural to believe that living a morally clean life and, and, and trying our best to live the golden rule would please God in t so that, uh, enough so that he would grant us eternal life based on our history of good works. But what about our history of sins? We all have a boatload of sins. And if, if something must be done about and with our sins, and they must be removed before the sinner dies. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us that redemption and forgiveness of sins comes only through the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross for our sins. That's the only way that our sins will be removed. Redemption and forgiveness comes to us no other way. If there is another way, then Jesus' death on the cross is worthless. But it's only in the power of his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the grave that forgiveness of sin is available. The Bible tells us if we try to work our way to heaven, we will be damned. But if we place all of our faith and trust in the fact that Jesus already did our works for us and that we need to go to heaven, then we will go to heaven. And that's called grace. And eternal life is only by grace alone. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.